thanks for uh, agreeing to do this podcast. And I know that I've just sprung it on you a bit this morning. You weren't expecting to uh, to get involved in this right now. You thought it was preparing for a podcast, but it, I've just informed you like three minutes ago that we're actually going to record it. How do you yeah, feel about a little, that? A little stressed, a little <laughs> anxious. This is not what I was expecting, but um, yeah, let's just dive in. But it, it, so let's just jump on that, right? So the, the the point of the podcast that we just talked about earlier, we thought we might explore this idea of leading in a crisis. And you know, there's a, probably a mini crisis with me telling you three minutes ago <laughs> that um, that we're going to do this thing that you weren't expecting to do, right? So let's just hit that straight away. So what if you were to reflect on that now? What might you say would be an important thing for a leader to do when something is sprung upon them that they just weren't expecting yeah i am i'm sort of chuckling to myself because we were just speaking prior to you kind of hitting the on button here uh, about the inner and outer world of leadership and uh it was just as you alluded to a second ago an immediate like oh my gosh like you know i can't believe we're doing this right now (laughs) and uh i think there's an element of scanning i know what i just did is i went through and i did the scan the internal scan of like you know this can't be happening i want to run away i want to run away as fast as i can i'm going to put a pause on this and then there is the reframe of just dive in and i think we even said that let's just dive in and um and there's something also maybe in not maybe but definitely in the trust you know let's just mm-hmm. just trust the process i remember there was an old leader that i had not that he was old, but a long time ago, a leader. And he used to always say that, just trust the process, trust the process. And uh, I think there's an element of just trusting the process. Yeah, nice. Well, thank you for trusting me and actually not hitting the pause button on this, because I think it's going to be um, a really interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And just building on what you what you have said there around the inner world, I think one of the things that came to my mind when I was talking to a colleague about this yesterday and she suggested we do a podcast on this leading in a crisis because a lot of the work that I've done in the last 10 years or so has been in these crisis places. Mm. Um, and the first thing that came into my mind is was hit the brakes, like slow down a little. And mm. I think that's more to do with the – certainly to do with this inner world. So in this mm. in this unexpected things happen or, or there's a lot of noise in the environment or something – complex appears in front of us Mm. the tendency might be for some leaders is to kind of react Mm. quickly Mm. um but the thought that i had was actually being really one of the important things would be to just slow things down a little Mm. and and do the scan as you described there yeah i agree i think there's such a tendency in us as human beings particularly under stress situations to go into reactive mode and just to react. There's a very good friend of mine, and um, I don't know what she's been reading. I need to ask her, but she often refers to this idea of respond versus react. And she's often trying to catch herself. She's am I responding or am I just reacting? And uh, Mm. it's something I've been reflecting on as I walk in the morning. And uh, I do think that we are quite many of us, obviously not everybody, but many of us can be very reactive. And there is that pause, just pause, and there's, there's a lot of research in the pause and breathe, you know, just breathe and uh, give the six second pause. And our brains have a moment to catch up and to think more rationally then. 
Yeah, nice. And I was going to ask you, you mentioned that you used the term scan, you did a scan. What were you doing in the scan? Describe the scanning process. What is that? Yeah, I have a bit of a process that I go through where I first tune into my body. And it's I've done it for so long now, I can do it pretty quickly. But my question is, where is it in my body? And I really try to feel that, you know, is it my stomach, is it my chest, is it my heart, is it my throat, is it my head, you know, where is that in my body? Because, again, our bodies constrict, we, we tense up. So where is it in my body? And the minute I can start to name that, I either become just aware of it, and it still holds on and grips me, or sometimes in just naming it, it can begin to dissipate. Then my next question is, what's the emotion? And it's like, I try and name the emotion. And um, again, there's been research, you know, neuroscience research, that if we can name a negative emotion, again, it starts to dissipate it. So I try and name the emotion. And again, this is years worth of kind of working on this. So I, I do this relatively quickly. And then I ask myself, so what's what's just been triggered? You know, what is it? Is it fear of not being liked? Is it fear of, or is it fear? You know, is it fear of not looking credible? Is it um, my sense of worthiness? You know, what am I saying to myself? What's the belief? And it's usually an old belief. If I tense up and, and constrict, then there's an old belief. And then it's the reframe. There's some great work by Byron Katie. And, uh, you know, how is this serving me? And I don't necessarily think this logically about it in the second, but when I reflect, yeah. how is this serving me? You know, what am I gaining from this? And how is this limiting me? How might this be serving others? How might, be it, how might it be limiting others? And then what's a different place? What's a different, what's a reframe? What's a different value? So, you know, right now I may be feeling fear around not looking credible. And so I'll kind of work through that. But the reframe is, how do I look at this through the lens of collaborating or doing something fun? So fun and collaboration are two higher level values or just different different level thinking to the reactive fear around not looking credible or looking stupid or whatever it might be. You remind me of a a conversation I had with our our good friend, Rob uh, Metcalf, Mm. who's on the podcast with us, Mm. who uh, many years ago, and I had a phone call with a, a new client really bigger than anything I'd handled before. And I got off the phone, I'm kind of taking the brief for this client and I put the phone down and I was in a real state of excitement, panic, kind of could, Mm. how could I possibly do this work? Like this is amazing work, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I rang Rob, who's a, a good mentor to me, still is and was then. And, um, I told, I just downloaded, I've got this thing. I've just been off this call. There's this, work it's amazing and but but there's all these things going run through my mind and i don't know if we can do it if we do do it it's what happens the impact of family all of these kinds of things going on and um and he listened and listened and listened and he just said oh what you could do is take something that's stressful and make it fun mm-hmm. <laughs> well how, how do i do that what? <laughs> and he said put a team together i'll do it with you and that was that was uh, that an go? example of that reframe. And immediately, immediately, I just went, oh. So I think just the thought that comes into mind on that, one of the tendencies that I have, and I think a lot of leaders who are attached to their competence have, mm-hmm. have a tendency to go inwards mm-hmm. when a, a crisis happens. Like, I've, I'm... I've got to solve this. Like it's, it's got to be me. Mm. 
what am I going to do to make something happen here or to to shift this when actually that experience that I've just described to you and many others that I've witnessed over the years, it's actually the time to reach out. Mm. And I think there's, I think there's something to be, to discern from that. One is going inwards to become more self-aware, to stop the pattern. It's like trigger physiological or body beliefs reframe. That's a self-awareness inner journey or kind of inner reflection then there is the difference between that and the inner of I've got to solve it all myself. I'm fully responsible. And to your point, you know, that can be a very limiting approach because it could be the very thing that we need, as you were just saying, to kind of step out of ourselves and say, okay, who else is around? What else can I do? Who can I speak with? You know, there's, there's resources around me. It's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Because Mm. The, the the crisis is inherently often very uncertain. You don't know how to navigate this. You don't know um, what the outcome's going to be. You don't have the answers. And to respond by introducing possibly even more uncertainty by letting go of control and involving others and so on, it's, an, it's, it's counterintuitive. It's not a normal. It might be a natural response for some, but for, for me and for many others that, it doesn't feel like it's the right response <laughs> introduce no, more no. uncertainty and into an uncertain situation you know exactly we want to have the death grip don't we, we want to grab on yeah. as tightly as possible and hold on for dear life when um yeah it is counterintuitive to say let go or to loosen the grip a little bit yeah the last thing we want to do what about if we add a little chat about so let's we've done the scan we've done that managing what about the outer response that that we might consider what might be important about the way um we respond to others and the way the things Mm. that we might put in place Mm. to respond well to crises right when you said that you know i had two images come to mind one was the old 9-11 situation from 9-11 one was more recent with covid and uh I think one of the things that we as human beings look for, particularly in times of crisis, is information. I don't know about you, but I remember when 9-11 happened, I was absolutely glued to the television for days. And it was the same imagery over and over and over again. You know, COVID. And how many times did we listen to the health authorities and the government authorities on television over and over? And it's like, if I watch long enough, there'll be a new little kernel of information so I think there's something quite powerful in that, and that people need information. And even if it is just, we don't have any further, you know, here's what we know, but just that um, the lifeline of communication coming through. And I think it's probably one of the most powerful things a leader can do is keep talking, keep informing, keep in touch. And that's certainly from my clients during COVID, one of the things that was in the organizations that I work with where they did that well, it was one of the things that employees talked most complimentary about. It's like our CEO, our MD was running town halls. I have a particular client where the um, the CEO wasn't necessarily somebody who was overly communicative before, but through mm-hmm. COVID, he and the executive team ran town halls very regularly and everybody around the globe tuned in. And um, to this day, people still talk about how powerful that was, just as one example. 
Was there anything about the way that that CEO communicated and the nature of the information sharing? Because I think one of the things that also happened in COVID I saw was lots of connecting over Zoom and and, and so on oh. for connecting sake, and, it, and people got a bit tired of it. Um, oh. So is there anything that you observed in that that yeah. made it effective? Yeah. Rather than there was just two things in particular. Tokenistic. Yeah. Yeah, no, two things in particular. And, and there were several leaders who've done this that I've seen. One was talking about their personal experience. So humanizing it. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking right now. These are the questions that I have. So really going from CEO to human being. And the other thing was opening up for conversation, for questions. And people could ask anything, which, again, hadn't really been done. There was the cursory. Does anybody have any questions? You know, the quarterly town hall. But this was really opening up and staying on the line as long as was necessary. They had very long calls in the beginning days, and people would just ask questions about the health of the business, what was being done, you know, what HR was up to, et cetera, et cetera. So the honesty from both a personal and a organizational perspective. Yeah, nice. And interested in some of those stickier questions where that CEO wouldn't know the answers because again in this uncertain in a time of uncertainty we don't know right um particularly like covid time there was a lot of things emerging over time so anything about how they responded that you think landed well with people in for some of those questions that were really difficult or unanswerable just what we were referring to a moment ago just the honesty that i don't know i don't have the answer Yeah, we're we're all kind of learning and going through this together. We don't have the crystal ball. We don't have the answers right now. You know, yeah. we're working on it as we go. So just that level of honesty, which again sounds so obvious, but um it was quite revolutionary for them. I love that um statement you made going from CEO to human. I think that's a really powerful way to think about it. Because when I think about the neuroscience you mentioned earlier, one of the key things that we're tuned into is is uncertainty, and it, that uncertainty creates a fear response, right? Um, mm. And not being in control and so on. Mm. Um, but if I'm certain that you will tell me things when you know them, and I'm certain that you'll tell me when you don't know, then that mm. brings a, that addresses a level of the uncertainty fear if you like because i can be confident in you my leader that you're not gonna spin me a line that you're gonna actually tell me what you know and what you don't know and that that gives me a sense of of security yeah and you know just as you were speaking the word secrets came to mind you know secrets are dangerous they're dangerous in teams organizations they're dangerous in families and it's not saying we have to share everything. And you and Rob talked about this in your in your podcast. But we make things up, you know, there's that old idea of, you know, we make things up in a vacuum. And if we don't have answers or if we sense something's going on and somebody's not being straight with us, or we sense that there's something being withheld, or we're not being told the truth or not being given the full picture, we just naturally make things up. And so whilst we don't have to share everything. There is something about saying the acknowledgement of what's happening. And there's power just in acknowledgement. You know, we're going to acknowledge that we don't know what's going on. We're going to acknowledge that we're in ambiguity. We're going to acknowledge or I acknowledge that I don't have the answers right now. I'll share those with you as, you know, as I can. But um, 
Yeah, people just need that sense of, are you being straight with me? You know, it's those human connections that we all long for. And no matter, there's one of those old sayings, no matter how analytical we are, we're emotional creatures at the end of the day. And we we long for the human connection. So just connect with me. Let me know that I'm, I'm safe. And uh, my safety may come in understanding or, or feeling that you're telling me the truth. So as I mentioned before we started, I like to be a little provocative in these, in these, and I like to put the, you know, the the mindset of one of the, the cynical, the most cynical participants that we might have in a room when we're doing some leadership conversations. And a thought that comes to mind is I completely, I can completely see and agree and feel that that would work. And then at some point, I imagine people would want a bit more, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, what what is the more what where would where would that maybe this example they did um or even theoretically what else do i need that's a bit more maybe tangible in terms of action i need to demonstrate do you think to create confidence in the leader once the leaders become a human hmm Again, I I pause because I'm just reflecting that I'll come back to the constant communication. I think that's a real tangible action, the regular constant communication that helps people work through the denial phase, that helps people work through the resistance phase, that helps people move into you know the old transitional grid, move into the exploration phase, and then they can kind of move into the their own commitment and moving forward. I think there is demonstrable action that needs to be taken, which is very contextual. It just kind of depends on the situation that we're in. It's like, you know, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, um, whatever that might be given the situation. And I think there's the tuning in, you know, three actions. There's the tuning in at the, for, with individuals and finding out how they are, what's going on for them um, and speaking with them. So three actions that people could take pretty quickly yeah situations and, and to had, add to that you've got such experience with this what what would you say well, i don't have any answers <laughs> what <laughs> i do have is some thoughts off the back of that, that are bouncing around off the back yeah. of what you just described there and yeah. you know these thoughts come from from both of us the the mm. however long experience of talking to many different leaders and so on but um mm. one of the things that comes to our mind is real Helping to filter through the noise and create clarity about priorities, mm. I think, would be a really important thing. So from a neuroscience perspective, another mm. th- another element that people need is a perception of being in control. Mm. So they don't need actual control. Mm. They need to feel That's like funny. they have some control over what's happening, right? So there's that mm. famous study about who, who experiences more stress, the fighter pilot the stunt pilots hurtling towards the ground at you know 200 miles an hour and pulling up at the last minute or the person sitting in a traffic jam mm-hmm. the person mm-hmm. in the, the traffic, traffic jam, jam experiences <laughs> yeah. more stress right we'd all identify with that and the reason for that is they aren't in control of their environment but the pilot is yeah now they have real control right but it turns out that it's only the perception of control that matters most. It's, it's uh, if yeah. I feel like I have some agency in this, yeah. then I'm gonna feel better. So I think 
I think for a leader to be clear about priorities and not try to do everything Definitely. and just have activity for activity's sake, no. to get really clear, to your point, to communicate effectively what are the most important things that we need to be focused on right now mm. as an organization. Um, and then to try and give people a sense of agency in taking action around some of those things. I think mm. that that would would be an important consideration for, for leaders. Mm. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking, that's a brilliant example, by the way, of the stunt pilot. I hadn't heard that in the, the traffic jam, but it's just perfect. But as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, there's three fundamental questions. Like, why, you know, what's our why? It sounds just so almost twee because people talk about that. But, you know, what's what, why are we here? Let's just kind of keep focused on, you know, what is it that we try, we're aiming for? then what's our first step? Like, what's the next best step for us to take? You know, what's right in front of us, as you were saying, you know, what what do you need to do? What do we need to do? You know, how do we just kind of keep moving forward one step at a time? And then we either let people figure out the how, or if they're really bamboozled, we step in and support them with the how. But those three questions, I think they're kind of the three basic questions of life. Why, what, how? And then the implication question is, well, what else or what if, you know, what if we do this? What if we don't? Kind of the implication question. But they're just the fundamental questions to keep coming back to. And it just popped into my head as I was listening to you speak. It's a good one. You're right. And it makes, I think, one of the things that we often talk about and help leaders with is getting real clarity on purpose, principles, values, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And like you say, it is yeah. talked about a lot um it's given a lot of lip service not many people a do it well and b follow through when yeah. it really matters on a values-based decision for example or a principles-based decision mm -hmm. but i was thinking about um another colleague of mine who's in the investment world they run in investment um large-scale pension funds and a lot of the clients in a financial crisis you know, the, the organization that this person works for is very, very values oriented and principles oriented. And they, mm -hmm. they, they need to be that way because the market fluctuates so much. So COVID hits or, or something, some news hits and the market goes bananas mm -hmm. for no logical reason, really often. Mm -hmm. And they are really solid around why are we investing in the things that we are investing in? And mm -hmm. not wavering on that just because mm -hmm. things are going crazy on the stock market or, you know, and, and, and it's difficult for them because often clients, will, and you're talking billions of dollars of funds, right? And clients will be calling uh, my colleague up and saying, what are you doing? Like that, that fund over there got out of this six months ago. Why didn't you get out of it? Mm. Often in these conversations around, well, the, the principles still apply. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if if we get out of it now, we're gonna be in all. You're gonna experience a lot more pain. But if we stay the course and we follow our principles on balance across these different uh, the, the different investments we have, we're gonna come out well. Mm. Not mm. we're not gonna knock it out of the park because we jumped on the latest fad, but mm. we're gonna come out well. But I, I was talking to them about it recently. I said really challenging 
to stay true to your values and principles when all the world around you is screaming at you, you know, why isn't this working and why isn't that working? Why haven't you done X? Because hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, as you were speaking, you know, again, this idea of consistency, it's like we trust the person who is consistent, that, that values, that kind of holding firm. And it's not saying rigidity. There's a difference, I think, between rigidity and consistency. But we trust the person who... We kind of go, okay, this is what they stand for. And I remember, um, oh, this is years ago, I remember uh, somebody talking after John Howard had left the prime ministership and there was a conversation in a group I was running of leaders and somebody made the comment that whilst I didn't like, this person was saying, whilst he didn't like John Howard, he knew what he stood for. Whereas some of the other leaders came in and they didn't actually know what they stood for. Julia Gillard had wavered on something that she had said and it triggered this conversation. So you just reminded me of that also, that there is something quite powerful in understanding kind of what's driving somebody, what do they stand for? And when we're wavering, to be able to look at somebody who has that groundedness or that clarity or consistency has a calming effect. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So some let's just recap some principles around leading in a crisis um firstly managing your inner world sort mm-hmm. of scanning process that you talked about so that i can mm-hmm. actually think clearly which kind of loops and, back to the values that you were just talking about too yeah yeah i can access my principles mm-hmm. and values but while my mm-hmm. nervous system's going crazy i can't even mm-hmm. see them clearly right mm-hmm. um breathe. breathe where is it in my where body what am i saying okay. with self-talk What's the self-talk here? What do I believe about what this situation says about me? Reframe into what are the possibilities here? What could mm. what what outcome could be created here? What is mm. what is this asking of me? You know, mm-hmm. these kinds of questions. Mm. Um, let's take something stressful and make it fun, right? <laughs> yeah. So principle number one at that inner inner world. Then you talked about communicating. So the the ramping up the communication, mm. honesty and authenticity in that communication, um, being uh, human, not the role, mm. so people can relate and identify. We've talked about shifting, and some of the outward things we could be doing would be um, being really clear about priorities, mm-hmm. um, and those priorities would be driven by a strong connection to principles and values. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what else comes to mind? In terms of the outer or the inner or the recap? Wherever you want to go, Kim. I think there was also <laughs> just the, the the first steps and some of those questions, you know, why are we doing this? What specifically can we do in the moment? Yeah. And then the, how do we go about this? What's the best way of doing this? And then, if you're even at that point, it's like, what are the implications of this? Yeah. Those fundamental questions. Yeah. Um, do you have any examples of the car- any kinds of crises that are, you've talked about COVID, 9-11, any others that you've come across in the work that you've done in recent years? It's okay if you haven't. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, the only thing that just popped to mind, I mean, there's not the... the kind of humanitarian crises with some of the things that you might have dealt with and some of the clients that you have or the situations you're in. 
but I think crises come up. There's kind of the, the they're not minor crises because they're very large for individuals, but when there's a change in an organization, when there's, you know, a new direction, when uh, a, a favored leader leaves, when, uh, when you feel like a crisis, strategy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when strategy changes, as they say, or a new, you know, people get let go. I mean, all of those things. I was working in a pharmaceutical company and there was, um, a change of leadership and as they came in this person came in there was a mid-level manager who was very very well regarded and very well liked by a lot of the staff but a lot of that had to do with the fact that she was telling people what they needed and wanted to hear she had very strong relationships with them on a personal basis but wasn't necessarily in um leading really well anyway long, long story short this person had to be let go. And it was quite traumatic for a lot of people in the team. So I think those are crises at a very deep personal level. I remember years ago when I first started working, my leader left and I was devastated because she was kind of my sense of security in the business. And so I think helping people through those situations, allowing them the space to speak and talk and have those forms, letting letting people know why decisions were made not the personal thing about the individual, but why decisions were made linked to the why that you were talking about. Here's the direction mm-hmm. that we're heading in. And then allowing people to work through their stuff and to open it up. And then there comes a time when enough is enough because that can start to spiral also. People can get very caught in their stories. Yeah. So uh, tell me, let, let me hear a bit more about that. When, because again, Rob's coming up a bit. He, he, we often talk about, because of his uh, background in the Royal Marines, we often talk about command and when is it appropriate for uh, for a command approach to step in and and actually demonstrate um, a different form of leadership, a more directive mm. form of leadership. What are your thoughts about that? I think you and I were talking about this earlier, prior to getting on the podcast, that ironically, to use the word, in a crisis situation, you know, sometimes a leader needs or somebody needs to step in and just be the decision maker. Here's the direction that we're heading in. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And we don't even have to do the why. It's like, it's called survival. Um, In other cases where it's not quite as cut and dry, at least, and look, I'm no expert on this, but just the experience that I've had and my frame of reference And the way I put it is when the story starts to go around and around, when it's the same story, and there's a period, and I don't have a time frame on this, but people need to tell their story over and over for a while, and then there comes a point where the story no longer serves us, where we're caught in the story. Yeah. And again, I don't have a particular time frame around this. I haven't seen what that is, but you feel it. You just know when the story's gone on too long. And um, there's the time to then address it and say, okay, we're going to put a line in the sand now. And it's not that people can't talk, but we're moving forward from this point. You just reminded me of a coaching engagement I had many years ago now with a very senior person in a professional services context who had a friend that that they'd known for a while. They'd kind of mentored this person in, in the business and they were at director level, I think it was. And um, this this person, this director, was 
was still leaning on the the senior leader in a very personal way around some mm. really personal issues they were having with mental health and things like that. And it had mm. gone on for quite a long time. And I was coaching the senior leader and, and he was starting to express a bit of discomfort. It's like this, you know, I've been I've been hearing the same story around this for a long time and this person wants to move up but but i'm conflicted because i'm now someone who has a say in whether or not Mm. they move up and i've got this Mm. personal relationship and it's really complicated for him and you know through the coaching process he decided that he was gonna cut he was gonna create some boundaries Mm. around the kinds of conversations that he would get involved in and would not get involved in uh, but he was really fearful about how that would go. As you can imagine, you know, this mm. person's coming to him with some real mm. mental health challenges and so on. Um, but he 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 did it in a compassionate way and he set some boundaries and he went and he said, look, I'm no longer going to be that person to you. Mm. I care about you. You're still a, a friend, but I'm going to make this a much more professional conversation when we're talking about the environment, the working environment we're in and so on. I'm no longer going to, listen to those stories mm. anymore mm. okay i'm going to mm. kind of cut that off and he was he was really scared to do it, but he did it and he did it well and and in this case it had a dramatic impact not only on that relationship but on the other person's sense of agency and autonomy mm. and they mm. were no longer they stopped leaning on that guy and they actually excelled in the organization after that mm. now i hesitate with stories like that because i'm one of the problems I've got with our industry is that you only ever hear the good news stories, right? You don't hear the thousands of others where someone's done that and it's gone wrong. Nobody writes oh, a book really <laughs> However, I think the principle, I do think the principle is a, an important one because had that continued the way it was, mm. um, it was no good for either of them. Yeah. You know, again, listening to you, two things come to mind. One is, sounds like the the coach really held the mirror up so holding the mirror up to see a a clearer reflection of that pattern that the individual was in and a lot of times we're totally unaware of it we're so caught in our story we're so caught inside of ourselves in our heads that we're not even aware of just how much we're going around and around and around so I think it is one of the powers or the powerful things a coach does is just hold the mirror up the other thing that struck me when I was listening to you is the challenge of doing that as a leader, the necessity of doing that as a leader, and also the challenge of doing that. You know, we often talk about leader as coach, and, you know, lots of organizations want the leader as coach program. But to be that, to have that hat of the coach on and to be able to hold that mirror up and be the leader at the same time, that's a that's a tough position to be in. And to be the one who says, I'm no longer going to listen, and yet it's sometimes the most powerful thing that can be done. So kind of just taking one step further, again, the um, the necessity sometimes, I was going to say the power, but the necessity to bring somebody in from the outside to be able to hold that space, which, again, is a bit of a tangential to what we're talking about, but just a couple of things that popped up as you were speaking. Yeah, it's easier, isn't it, as an external to hold that mirror up because mm. – there's less, I mean, there's there's businesses at stake, I guess, and reputation at stake, mm-hmm. but it's, but, um, and, you know, from a social contract point of view, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? 
Mm. But if you're trying to do that from a personal, you're coming from a personal relationship Mm. and that's the history and that's the social contract and you're suddenly going to go, no, 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 it's time to change this contract. I'm going to renegotiate terms here. Mm. Very challenging thing to do. Mm. Yeah, very much so. But super important. And I think it speaks to, again, this inner and outer game. So when I think about the coaching conversations we had once we got to the first thing was principles and values you know a reckon a realization that i'm not actually helping this person like this senior leader yeah. i'm not actually helping this person yeah. It, yeah. I, it, it feels like this kind of uh, this this comfort and un, an unhealthy equilibrium right yeah the realization this isn't helping and if this continues they're not going to get to where they need to get to Firstly, then the management of the inner game around how fearful I am, what might be the consequences of me setting boundaries here, huge. Mm. So helping him figure that out and and reconcile that. And that, that came back to, well, what are the principles and what are the values that you're trying to um, apply here? And what's the outcome you're really trying to achieve here? You want to grow. You want them to grow. You want the relationship to thrive. All of these things. Well, if you listen to this fear that's in you right now, none of those things are going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, I was just visualizing as you were speaking, because in the questioning that you had with this individual, this leader, questioning what's he saying to himself for herself about them as a leader you know it's like that mirror being held up it's like what's your role as a leader is it to help the other person be the best they can be or is it to be liked or is it to be whatever however they finish that so you know that self-realization or self-reflection of god what am i saying who who do i see myself as as a leader that's that inner scan that we were talking about before also sorry to interrupt not at all um and i i think we, I think we started with this idea of uncertainty as well. I think fundamentally with this approach, you, you don't know whether or not it's going to work. And going back to my point earlier, it's great. You know, we're, people in our field are great at telling stories about how you, somebody did, you know, Steve Jobs did this, that, and the other. And look what he, get, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sure he was a great bloke. I didn't know him, but... Um, there are there are probably a thousand, a million Steve Jobses that didn't get to where he got to. So we don't talk about those people because they weren't in the right place at the right time, or they or they took a risk and it didn't pay off. Or there's a whole lot of variables involved in these situations, right? So, but I think the principle is still true that um, there's no there's, there was no certainty in that in this in this case this example I'm using. The leader took that step to create boundaries without a guarantee that it was going to work. Mm. Mm. So the leap of faith, uh, trust, just yeah. give it a go. And the only solid ground that they really had was this is this has got the I'm acting in like with integrity now in what I'm trying to create in this relationship. And it may or may not get the outcome I'm looking for. But all I can really do is stand on that firm ground of my own integrity, my own principles and values and intent, higher intent for this. Yeah. And the rest I've kind of got to let go of and leave to Providence. 
Yeah, yeah. So I know Rob, again, we brought Rob up so many times, but he talks a lot about experimenting. It sounds like an experiment, you know, just yeah. going to give this a go. And there's high high stakes. You know, when you're dealing with somebody else, there's high stakes. So that's a bit, sounds a bit flippant, but really that's all there is. I'm going to try with the best intention. Yeah, That's what I'm really hearing here. What's the intention? What's the highest intention? And I'm going to give this a go. Otherwise, we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So maybe just to wrap up, we could, if we could take, how would that apply on a bigger? So I've talked about an example uh, of an individual situation. I don't even know how we got onto that example, but anyway, <laughs> no, <I was> thinking, <laughs> we kind of went down some time. So if we kind of zoom out back to where we started, starting with this idea of you know fairly senior leadership facing into some kind of significant, uncertain critical event mm. um how would that ex- so what are we saying about that example we're back to principles aren't we back to the, yeah. the importance of yeah navigating uncertainty by applying principles and values yeah so what's going on you know what's my intention what's going on for me what's the bigger what's the bigger picture here that we're leading into or leading for or kind of going through and then yeah, how do I kind of be true to myself and true to others and lead lead through this, kind of hold hold the path, which as you said, is through principles and values. Yeah. Which sounds very airy fairy, but it's conceptually that's really what it is. Yeah. <clears throat> Just to add to that. Because the... it's different for each individual too. What that is is very different to say it's this value or this principle. It's not. It's like that's that's the individual self-discovery or kind of that's the individual choice yeah yeah getting really clear what am i trying to achieve here and why is it important to me to them to the team to the organization da, 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 da. Mm. which is difficult which is where the inner management comes into play and i think also just to kind of final thought that comes into my mind is where we started around my tendency to and oh, yeah. maybe others tendencies to maybe go in Instead yeah. of reaching out, I think one of the things that was really helpful to me with mentors and people that I have in my life is to just talk. So when I'm struggling to apply principles and values or even to see them clearly in a situation that I'm in, having that support team to go, mm. hey, you know, this is what I'm facing right now. And for them to come back and say, why not make it fun instead of stressful, you know, or... Mm. Or is it mm. you're actually trying to build here? Mm. And if that's yeah. what you're trying to build, what's the appropriate response? I think that's really important to have that outside input. Absolutely. Reflect on self and then get things reflected back to you. And that's nice. the power of somebody outside. Mm. All right. Thanks, Kim. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for, uh, thank you. <laughs> thanks for facing into you, the, the crisis that I put before you at the beginning of this call by telling you we were going to record today. Yeah, I was and, not prepared for that, <laughs> but it's been a good conversation. It's caused me to think. I enjoyed it too. Thanks, Kim. Thank you.